0: First of all, the church was absolutely jam-packed. I don't know how much it, how many it holds. I, I, I would guess it holds somewhere around 3,000 people when you stuffed them all in there. There was at least 1,000 cops in uniform.
1: It's April sixteenth, two 2004, at St. Mary's Church in San Francisco, the funeral of Officer Isaac Espinosa, a popular young cop who'd been shot and killed. Kamala Harris, the new district attorney, had already announced she wouldn't seek the death penalty against the suspect in the shooting, a gang member. She had been endorsed by the police union in her upset win against incumbent Terrence Hallinan, a progressive who the cops saw as soft on crime. He was known to seek options other than prosecution and jail time for offenses like prostitution and drug possession. Harris campaigned against him, saying she would be smart on crime. But like Hallinan and the other candidate in the race— a defense attorney named Bill Fazio. She also said she was against the death penalty. Even still, the announcement she would not seek it in this case shocked the cops. And that day, at Espinoza's jam-packed funeral,
0: The cops were livid.
1: Gary Delanus was president of the San Francisco Police Officers Association.
0: Some of it was emotional. Because you know the reality was that, that and, and I think it was Kamlo's position, and, and rightly so. They weren't going to they weren't going to give the death penalty to this guy. There was no way. I mean, San Francisco. I don't think the I don't think San Francisco would give the death penalty to Charles Manson. I mean, it's just not going to happen. So, from a logical perspective, she was right. But it was the way she the way she handled it, the way it played out. She made these decisions first of all before the kid was even buried, which I thought was extremely inappropriate. And secondly, she she never spoke to the family.
1: One of the speakers at the funeral was Senator Diane Feinstein, the state's most powerful Democratic politician and the former mayor of San Francisco.
0: You know, I, I didn't, nobody knew what Feinstein was going to say. Uh, Feinstein had always been pro cop. You know, she had always been very supportive of the SFPD. And to this day, uh, she remains, although she's remained pretty quiet on all this stuff that's been happening lately, but uh she, you know, blurted out that, that I, I don't remember what her exact words were, that, you know, this is definitely a death penalty case or something like that. And she looked right at Kamala when she said it. And, and the cops just all rose to their feet. It was a standing ovation for about five minutes for Feinstein. San Francisco.
2: It's one of the world's great cities, but in a lot of ways, it's just like a million other towns. One of those ways is politics. They're brutal, parochial, often personal. Or as Harris's friend and fellow prosecutor Susie Loftus puts it,
3: It's been described, I think, I want to give Kamala credit for this. It's a knife fight in a phone booth.
2: It's a small city, about 49 square miles. Staten Island is bigger. There's more than 800,000 people here. So of course, everybody doesn't know everybody. But it can seem that way, especially in political circles where you won't find many Republicans. That liberal hothouse has produced some of the nation's biggest political names. Diane Feinstein, Nancy Pelosi, Jerry Brown, more recently Gavin Newsom, and Kamala Harris. Most anywhere else, Kamala Harris would be so liberal as to be out of the mainstream, a left winger. In San Francisco, she won that first race by running as a centrist to the right of Terence Hallinan, a veteran of the 1960s civil rights protests in San Francisco and Mississippi. Harris was a protest veteran, too. But, as she is fond of saying, she went to them in a stroller.
1: She grew up in the late 60s and early 70s in a city that was exploding with free speech, anti-war, and Black power activism. The daughter of progressive academics, both of them immigrants. She played at a community center where Maya Angelou or Nina Simone might casually walk through the front door. After spending her teenage years in Montreal... She became politically active herself when she was a student at historically black Howard University.
4: Howard University is one of the most important aspects of my life.
2: Today, she has one of the most consistently progressive voting records in the U.S. Senate. None of that sounds like the resume of someone who'd spend a decade and a half as what she calls the top cop, district attorney, and then state attorney general. So who's the real Kamala Harris, the progressive or the cop? And what could we learn from her childhood? her career, and the people who know her, about how she became the Democratic vice presidential nominee, the first African-American woman, and the first Asian-American on a major party ticket. That's what this podcast is about.
4: Yes or no? daughter of Oakland, California. Sir, I'm I'm asking a question. I say we fight. And that little girl was me.
2: I'm Joe Garifold.
1: And I'm Tal Copin, And this is Chronicled, who is Kamala Harris from the San Francisco Chronicle. Episode 1, The Top Cop. Those of us in D.C. where, for our listeners who don't know, I cover politics for The Chronicle, tend to have a stereotype in our heads of a San Francisco Democrat, many of whom today are women. In fact, Republicans make attack ads based on it. But Kamala Harris first ran for office in 2003. Was that the case back then?
2: It's true, Tall. As you know, San Francisco loves to pat itself on the back as a progressive haven. But in fact, it was a bit of a boys club. A black woman running for office always knows the sexist and racist attacks are inevitable. And San Francisco is no exception. And this wasn't long after the 1990s which was a time of rising crime and a massive federal tough-on-crime approach that has since fallen out of fashion.
1: But her position on policing wasn't what got attention in the race, was it?
2: No. The biggest target on Kamala Harris's back as she entered the race for district attorney in 2003 was a relationship she'd had a decade earlier. She was an assistant DA in Alameda County when, for about a year, she dated Willie Brown. At that time, he was the Speaker of the Assembly. In 2003, he was the outgoing mayor of San Francisco. She was single and he was married, though he'd been separated from his wife for years. The relationship resulted in Harris's first appearance in the Chronicle and a condescending gossip item in Herb Kane's column in 1994. Kane made note of the fact that Harris is black and that she was, quote, a woman, not a girl. Brown had appointed Harris to two state commissions and introduced her to the city's upper crust, things he did for plenty of other qualified politicians that he didn't date including, he says, Newsom, Pelosi, and Feinstein. Still, the arrows were coming for Harris.
5: They attacked her once.
2: <laughs> That's Jim Stearns, who managed her 2003 campaign. The attack came in May when the three candidates were together for a debate. There was Harris, who was polling in the single digits. There was Terence Hallinan, the former boxer and civil rights stalwart nicknamed K.O., now a two-term DA. Harris had worked for him briefly before moving to the city attorney's office. And there was Bill Fazio, a defense attorney and former prosecutor who had suffered narrow defeats to Halinan in the two previous elections. He was a favorite of the local police union.
5: And so a a member of the audience, probably planted by one of the campaigns said, what about Willie Brown?
2: Harris had an answer ready. It was the kind of race Halinan and Fazio had run against each other in 1995 and 99. And as far as Harris was concerned, well, they were welcome to it. She stood
5: behind uh, Terrence and she said, so you'll all remember, you know, um, that Fazio attacked Terence for being a deadbeat dad who had to be sued um, to determine the paternity of his own child and make child payments. And then she went behind Fazio. And then you'll remember how Terence Hallinan attacked uh, Fazio for uh, being caught in a massage parlor during a police sting. And then she stood in the middle again she says, but I'm just not going to talk about that kind of stuff in this campaign because I think you deserve a district attorney who's focused on the issues. And the whole crowd just spontaneously uh, gave her a standing ovation.
2: The counterpunch worked. Harris moved ahead of Fazio and forced a runoff with Hallinan, and she won it handily. It was an upset. And it was national news. She was the first woman and the first person of color to serve as San Francisco's district attorney. When she was elected, there were few black DAs in the country. Little has changed. Last year, only 1% of elected prosecutors were women of color. 79% were white men. She pulled it off by pulling together a coalition San Francisco hadn't seen before. Jim Stern says San Francisco was about a third liberal and a third more conservative
5: Catholic and West Side voters. So running in the middle was very difficult. And uh Kamala did it by assembling the most bizarre uh coalition, in the words of David Binder, our pollster, and he said the most bizarre coalition that he'd ever seen in San Francisco. If you look at the heat map of where she won, it was the Bayview Hunters Point, it was the Castro, um, and it was Pacific Heights. <laughs> I mean, she united somehow, Pacific Heights High Society uh african americans in the bayview and lgbt community in the castro
2: Susie loftus who years later would be interim da herself worked on that campaign for harris she recalls the nastiness
3: i think at that time and even now san francisco has been referred to as more of a boy's town and a place where the guys are in charge and they threw a lot of nastiness at her but she was um, resolved to talk to every voter she could. And actually, Scott Wiener just gave this great story. I Scott
2: Wiener is a state senator a representing the Castro ago. now. About, Back then, the he was her colleague for, in the city uh, attorney's the office. Election. She called him on election Eve. night.
3: And Kamala called him up and said, where are voters going to be on a Monday night? And he said, well, they'll, they'll be at the bars in the Castro. And uh, the bar that Scott was going to bring her to was having underwear night. So there was a lot of gentlemen in underwear. And um, Scott sort of said, "Uh, you know, Kamala, I'm not sure if this is the bar you want to go into tonight. And she said to him, well, Scott, do people in underwear not vote? And Scott was like, no, they vote. And she's like, well, then I'd like to go talk to them. And she beelined right in and had a fabulous conversation with everybody on underwear night. And so I think what that shows is like this is a, there was high stakes, very personal, nasty, all of that. But Kamala was driven by a belief in what she was doing and a willingness to work hard for it.
1: Harris's law enforcement background is a subject of attacks today. But when she took office in 2003, she took some of the most progressive stands of any district attorney in America, including a reentry program for first-time, low-level offenders that later became a national model. She was heralded as a gutsy progressive leader. But she was also criticized for being too cautious and for not doing enough about police shootings of Black men. The thing about unusual coalitions is that they're fragile. There are always reasons why they're unusual. In Harris's case, the first big split came about four months in, when she declined to seek the death penalty in the shooting of Officer Isaac Espinosa, losing the cops. Much of the talk today of whether Harris is progressive or a prosecutor ignores the context of that time. That's what Alicia Garza told Joe on his It's All Political podcast this summer. She's an Oaklander who is the co-creator of Black Lives Matter.
4: I think the thing that is unique about Senator Harris is that um, she was not a prosecutor during the, the era of Black Lives Matter. And in fact, um, I'm, I'm maybe old enough to remember uh, when she was being viciously attacked, uh, when she was TA in San Francisco, uh, you know, I mean, if you were to listen to the police unions, you would have thought she was Huey Newton. But she forged ahead
1: with her plans to remake the criminal justice system as, quote, smart on crime. Progressives liked some of her programs like the one called Back on Track. It aimed to reduce recidivism by putting nonviolent, low-level offenders in a program where they performed community service and completed education courses. If they got a job and completed their requirements, their record was cleared. The small pilot program was deemed a success, and eventually it was copied across the state. Typically, 50% of low-level felons commit another crime that number dropped to 10% among those who completed back on track. The Obama administration later adopted
4: it as a national model.
2: But Harris's ideas weren't all winners with the lefty crowd. So
4: I decided I was going to start prosecuting parents for truancy.
2: Harris found that most perpetrators of crimes were high school dropouts. So she created a program to keep them in school by threatening to jail parents of elementary school students if their kids miss more than 50 days in a year. Harris said the idea wasn't to criminalize parents, but to get them help before it was too late.
4: Well, this was a little controversial in San Francisco. (laughs) And frankly, my staff went bananas. They were very concerned because we didn't know at the time whether I was gonna have an opponent in my reelection race. But I said, look, I'm done. This is a serious issue, and I've got a little political capital, and I'm going to spend some of it.
2: She did take heat for the program, but no parents were ever put in jail in San Francisco, though there were arrests in other counties after the program was rolled out statewide. By 2009, truancy among elementary students in San Francisco had dropped 23%, and no opponent challenged her for re-election in 2007. That political capital had been well spent. Fellow prosecutor Susie Loftus.
3: She has her mom's like scientific mind. Like, what, ha- why is this happening? How do I get there? How do I fix it? And she follows the problem all the way through. And so I think when you think about truancy, it got criticized on the back end of like, well, what you're actually doing is you're targeting certain families. And what she worked with all of us on was like, no, there are certain families that are more impacted by these systems. And how can we get them the help that they need? So those first graders are getting into class.
2: But her relationship with law enforcement took a long time to heal. She ran for state attorney general in 2010, and the major police unions endorsed her opponent, Los Angeles DA Steve Cooley. Harris won a squeaker that wasn't decided until three weeks after election day. Just as in San Francisco, She was the first woman and the first person of color to hold the job. She went on a campaign to win back the cops, visiting all 58 counties in California and trying to make personal connections with law enforcement across the state. Here she is at an event in 2016 in Fresno, in California's deep red Central Valley, still making the case five years after she first visited as AG. And yeah, I know the sound isn't great here, I didn't know I was going to be using it in a podcast four years later. Well, I
4: am so glad to be back in Fresno today, and um, I want to specifically thank, of course, Fresno Police Chief Jerry Dyer, a great friend, but also...
2: And the police responded.
5: It's my honor. Uh, Truly, it is to be standing next to the Attorney General, somebody I consider to be a a personal friend and a uh, professional friend. Uh, She, uh, since the day she took office, uh, has stayed in close communication uh, with us.
2: Kamala Harris had learned a lesson from the Espinoza case, and she spent years trying to convince the cops she'd learned it. Here's how Susie Loftus describes her message.
3: I was new to the job. I was... 100 days in. And if I knew then what I know now, I would have taken some more time, I would have put a process together. And I understand now how that hurt people. And I think she dug in on the right things that this is a principal decision in line with the views of the people. But it also caused tremendous pain to this beautiful family and to the department and to uh, all of the public safety, you know, folks in our community. And so I think she really, in the end, owned that she would have liked to have done the process differently.
1: Kamala Harris had become the highest-ranking law enforcement official in the state and the head of the largest Department of Justice outside of the one in Washington.
2: But it wasn't just the job that got bigger. The problems did, too. And so did her adversaries. Next time on Chronicled, a much more imposing foe. Wall Street. The producer of Chronicled is King Kaufman. Artwork and design by Tam Duong, Danielle Mallette-Parks, and Yoli Martinez. Thanks to Tim O'Rourke, Erica Carlos, and Karen Creighton. Chronicle is a production of the San Francisco Chronicle. For full access, visit sfchronicle.com
5: pod.